My name is Eric Hundley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today is the day. We have David J.P. Phillips, who is a remarkable find. I had never heard of you prior to earlier this year. I don't know how I came across probably PewDiePie. And I'm not even a subscriber of PewDiePie, but I was fascinated. You're a Swede. I've had a previous Swede on, Henrik Fexius. I'm not sure if you're familiar with mm-hmm. him. Yep. And you cross in many of the same circles with uh, Mark Bowden, who uh, does body language, Simon Lancaster, who does speech writing. And I am utterly captivated in watching you. How are you doing today? Thank you. That's a beautiful Bunch of people to be compared to. Thank you for that. I I look up to them all. I am doing fabulous. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm really struck to have you, and I kind of want to break down how you deal with the presentations and all that and explore what you've done lately, because you've got a lot of TED Talks, a lot of history. Obviously, you're kind of becoming an overnight sensation on YouTube, which means that you only have 20 years experience. (laughs) <laughs> i don't yeah, know if you found that the, the, the standard overnight rock and roll sensation is an average of 10 years yeah, yeah no that's true uh, it's fun when people go into my youtube channel that after they've been following me for a month or two they go like oh my god you were famous before youtube yes yes i've been doing this for a while <laughs> the thing is though watching your youtube compared to the ted talks and things i wanted to explore that with you one you really seem to be joyful. And I know that you're all about presentation and, and the Duchenne smile and joy and everything else, but it does seem to be from the heart. Is it because you're working with your son? Oh, yeah. No, that definitely helps. Yes. If he's not around and if he's not helping out, I think that's, uh, yeah, it definitely it's such a difference. And it is super joyful. It's such a free talk because it's supposed to attract youths and they are their attention span is shorter than adults. So therefore, you have to create more emotion than ever before. So the more emotional impact, the longer they stay. And do you enjoy um, going to that degree? Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. I feel constrained when I'm on stage, actually. And um, that allows me to be my, more of my, my being. Well, that's ironic because most people see the small screen as being constrained, the intense, yeah. the drama, yeah. the very subtle gesture, mm. you yes. know, like a, a Russell Crowe who can just sit there and kind of stare at the camera and captivate you with, you know, barely moving their cheekbone or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But on the stage, you feel more constrained than you do on video. So this is a a different paradigm. Have you had to learn how to present on YouTube versus the stage? Yes. (laughs) It's an entirely different thing. Oh my God. Yeah. I was super nervous to begin with. I think when my son picked up PewDiePie to begin with, I was, uh, I, I just broke down for like 24 hours and then I got into it, but I was so super nervous. It's out of my comfort zone by a mile and now i think we've been doing it for like what three or four months intensively i'm still not acquainted to it entirely i can walk up on any stage in the world and i can absolutely be comfortable with it but still not when it comes to youtube is that a good thing though i mean 
Honestly, and, and don't take it wrong, I feel like your presentation is stronger on YouTube. Now, is that a factor of, of being on the edge and almost rediscovering joy, or is it a factor of editing? Wow. I, I don't know, actually. I can't, I can't answer that, but no. I think there's main, many factors that make that happen. I don't know. I don't know. Your analysis is better than mine because I'm looking for myself from the inside out, and that's always difficult. That's true. And uh, out of curiosity, um, I'm always a believer in what other people see is what is. You may intend mm. to do something, but if your presentation gives a result that is different than you expected, well, then you did a different presentation than you expected. I'm curious, too, now, one big question. Did PewDiePie create the towel gang? <laughs> That, that's the most important question, isn't it? <laughs> I get it right out the gate. <laughs> so the thing is this. I've been reading, uh, I'm reading the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams probably mm-hmm. 10 times in my life, over and over again. I actually adore that book. It's like it's the best book I've ever read. And, and the most important object in that entire book is a towel. So the towel has always been an important part of me. So I really adored when Elon Musk sent his roadster up on, to Mars he put a towel into the glove compartment of the car. So that, I just adored that. So when PewDiePie pointed out that the towel was in the background, it just became the un- inevitable opportunity to bringing out in the story of the Hitchhiker's Guide into who I am. So it's, it's, it was just a yeah, coincidence, I think. But it was perfect I was going to say, did you intend to have the towel in the background? Was that a prop that was there? Or is it something you had left there and then he noticed it and you're like, okay, it's fake. <laughs> we actually used it because we were going to use it in, to cover who I was going to react to. So I was going to lift it up like a magician. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until he mentioned it and people caught on to it that I saw the connection between my passion, the towel, and PewDiePie and what they caught on to. So it was just a perfect combination. That's awesome. I mean, that, that is amazing. And of course, the best things you are completely inadvertent, right? Because they just Apparently. naturally occur. <laughs> that could never be planned. Now on that, I'm sure people will definitely want to know this. How do you determine who you are going to actually review or react to? Who I am going to react to? Well, we've had different strategies for that. One strategy is that I should react to those that I really like. Mm -hmm. And then a strategy is obviously to pick those that other people want me to react to. A third strategy was to react to the political candidates, which was based on trend and none of the two before mentioned reasons. So there are different factors. And... um, We'll see what we carry on with. We're constantly changing and varying our strategy at the moment. So we'll see how we carry on. But probably big names, interesting names, and people that you can really learn from. Okay. So obviously a lot of it being the YouTube, I mean, you're trying to build the channel. You're trying to grow. Whatever moves the needle. I mean, yep. reacting to uh, a YouTuber with a 1,000 you know, subscribers is not going to give you the same impact as PewDiePie, especially if he reacts back. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point, obviously. Reacting to channels which have a lot of followers can bring in those followers to us. So it's, it makes sense to react to larger YouTubers because more people would want to watch that video as well. And usually the big YouTubers are really good, so you can really learn a lot from them. They've become good because they are. They have become big because they're good. 
So they're perfect to analyze. Well, that's something I actually wanted to approach with you too. You have 110 skills that you've studied and determined over time. Now, the YouTubers aren't necessarily. Some of them, I think um, Felix went to theatrical school of some kind at one point. Mm -hmm. And some of the other ones probably have drama in high school or something in their background. But in general, I'm not going to say they're naturals you show a progression over time, how they get better, like Mr. Beast and and different people. Mm. Do you feel that these skills can either be learned directly or are they learned by many people by feedback? As in, if I do this action, I smile, people seem to react nicely. So I learn to just keep smiling. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's how we automatically learn these skills. Definitely. And then I think we can all reach a particular level. If you've got like a zero to a 10 grade scale, I think anyone can probably reach a six or a seven by learning that way. But in order to achieve the last eight, nine or 10, you need to get like detailed feedback from an an expert in their field, if it's drama school or theater or public speaking or singing to, to just notch that up to the, to the top. So I think a lot of YouTubers, they end up being the top YouTubers. They end up being seven and eight. Mm. Is there a law of diminishing returns? And by that, I mean, um, you've said in multiple interviews that disfluencies, um, yeah, you know, mm, oh, oh, yeah. okay. That getting rid of that is probably the best thing one can do as a speaker. So are those base levels that, let's say, I get rid of the disfluencies, smile a bit more, that brings me to a five just with a couple steps. And as you get higher and higher and higher, like in any sport, you're actually having to spend hours and hours and hours and hours for that little 1% gain. Yeah, that is definitely the situation, yeah. With these 110 skills, we measure... We measure everything from political candidates to speakers to YouTubers and our clients, of course. And you can easily coach somebody from the scale in that goes from zero to 110. And you can easily get somebody to jump from 40 to 60 in two days. But going from 80 to 85 usually takes two or three months. Going from 85 to 90 takes two years <laughs> going from nine to 200 takes could take a decade is there a 110 that you've seen the best person i've ever rated is ed isard he's a british stand-up comedian yeah, he, i think he rated a 106 yes yeah 106 so he's he's the one who scored the most and usually when you're a stand-up comedian you get the opportunity to score more points because you have the opportunity to do more things on stage. You can play out, you can do role play and role play invites so many different skills that you can use. So say for instance, Obama, I think his max score is 86 when I've scored him, mm-hmm. uh, but he simply can't go much higher. Maybe he could go like 90 or 89 or something, but he couldn't reach 106 on a political situ- in a political situation or Constraint. in a speech situation. Yeah. I'm familiar with Eddie Izzard, but I'm even more familiar with, let's say, Robin Williams. And when yeah. you bring that up, 
Robin Williams does everything from pantomime to expression to voices to change to tone to back and forth pace. I don't know if you've ever looked at him and rated him. I'm afraid I haven't rated him, but he would rate very high. Yeah. And uh, when you brought that up, I was like, oh, okay. So the comedian has a wide open toolbox to do anything they want in order to manipulate you or get a laugh in some way, shape, or form. Yes. How do you then work within the constrainment? And since this is my show, it's always all about me. Yeah. (laughs) I am an interviewer. And I'm curious on interviewing skills versus speech skills. And by that, I mean, I don't want to compete with my guest. I want to feature my guest. I want to showcase. I mean, I want David to captivate everybody. I'm a facilitator. Study that or have different methodology there. I wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't say that I study that. I can absolutely give feedback and I can coach somebody in that, but the, the tool itself doesn't analyze facilitation in that way. It, uh, it analyzes a person's ability to present their subject for it to be clear and concise and powerful. And, uh, there's, there's other skills that go into facilitation. So it is a different combination. It would be a different combination, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Now, you have talked about the um, body language gestures and nonverbals. Are you, and I think you brought up, I'm guessing, the Moravian scale. That's the uh, 73855. As in, oh, right. Uh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. 7% yep, right being verbal. And uh, now, yeah. mm. now, of course, I always love bringing that up because anybody who's ever said it, a yep. lot of people misinterpret that. And they're like, oh, when you're talking... Only 7%, you know, is actually <laughs> what you're saying. And it's like, oh, really? Yeah. 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 Am I saying <laughs> now? And it, it, it's kind of ridiculous. So people are misinterpreting it. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain how yeah. you feel about it or how you apply it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it doesn't apply very well. I would say that my example is often if you, if you lie in bed, and you're close to the one who loves you. And they say, oh, I love you. And back to them, you say, yeah, I love you too. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the words are. You, the way you said it was 100%, had 100% impact on the way it was received. And uh, looking at anybody communicating anything, if they're... I talk about synchronization when I talk about YouTube and when I coach people. And it means that all your five layer, layers of communication need to add up. That's your facial expressions, your word, your voice, your gestures, and your body language. And as soon as one of those is out of sync, your communication will fail. And it's very hard to measure that in percentages. So, yeah, I'm... I'm I, I believe that they're all relying on each other. It's like when you walk into a room and a person is applying all of these five layers, you fall in love with them. You just want to be close to them because it's, it just feels so truthful because they're not hiding anything. But as soon as one of those layers are, uh, is out of sync, for instance, their facial expressions, they say that they like you, but they look like they're disgusted by you or it's just a neutral facial expression. It's something... It's a, there's a discrepancy and we don't trust the person and the communication is off and they, they lose a lot of points on that. 
It's very interesting. I have um, a lot of body language people too. And uh, Scott Rouse likes to call it loping. Um, Mandy O'Brien likes to call it singing. And I think Mm -hmm. what you're describing can be used there for detecting deception or whatever, because as somebody is talking, there's kind of a natural rhythm, they're breathing, the way they're moving, things like that. And I always appreciated Mandy calling it their body sings. Like everything mm. just it's kind of going together almost symphonically. And how you pick up on the deception is discomfort. And that's a Joe Navarro. Um, nice. He does FBI reader. And he's essentially saying you're testing how comfortable a person is at any given point. The more uncomfortable, the more you explore. Yeah. And that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I think in, I think that adds up to what I'm saying as well, the, the fine levels of synchronicity. But that also comes down to the, some people just, they have not have activated all five levels. Mm-hmm. It's, for instance, facial expressions. It's only one in 20 who I meet who have well-developed facial expressions. Mm-hmm. So 19 of them are actually missing out on full synchronicity, i.e. their facial expressions is not fully synced with what they're saying. And it seems to be, seems to be the, the least learned level of those five. That's interesting. Now, is that a cultural consideration too? Now, as an example, you and PewDiePie and Henrik to a degree, he's not as um, boisterous. You know, he's, he's kind of a more subtle type. I always had an impression that Swedes were a little constrained. That the mm-hmm. Nordic countries kind of you know a little bit stiff, not the stiff upper lip like British, but it, yeah. are are there cultural considerations that one culture may be a little bit more constrained and one may be a little bit you know more expressive like Italians? Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but if we look at around the Mediterranean, they use a lot more gestures. Those gestures are usually based on rhythm, i.e., they don't really enhance the message. So when I if I go to if I go to Italy and I coach a client there, I have to coach them to use their gestures more functionally because mm. usually they are just expressing rhythm. And that is just one small part of gestures. And the same thing goes for facial expressions. Yeah, they're a bit more toned up compared to a, a Finn, for instance, which is the kind of the opposite of an Italian. Uh, but it's... I would say I I haven't traveled all the world, but it, I would say that all over the world, facial expressions is the least learned layer of the five. And then after that comes gestures. And we're fairly good at voice and words. Most people mm-hmm. are. And body language. We're pre- pretty natural. But voice and gestures are pretty low down on the scale. Was that because the face is something that we're more focused on and controlling? I mean... In, I know that it's the same in body language. Like one thing you're watching in body language is people's feet. Mm. If, and I think you brought it up in PowerPoint. If you are turned away, you're saying, I, I want to go. Yeah. I'm kind of done. And, you know, the feet are actually saying what the people want and their face might be like, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. Um. <sighs> Is that the case? And because we're, we're hyper focused, you know, we're, we're looking, mm-hmm. we look in the mirror, and sometimes people practice or, or whatever else, or we want to have a poker face and, and not give anything away. Could be. I don't know. Actually, I've I've tried to figure out the reason for it. 
but I just uh, can't for the life of me understand it because we see faces all the time. So mm. we should be able to be really good at copying facial expressions, but we just, we aren't. And um, I think the, the way I coach people in this is that I, I tell them that just become conscious about facial expressions. And whenever you watch a TV series or a movie, and as soon as you see somebody use a facial expression, which you know that you can't do, just pause mm. the movie. And then you try that facial expression over and over again, just trying to activate those muscles because in most of the cases, they're not activated. They don't actually know how to create that facial expression. I think there's a combination. Uh, Ericsson said, I think it's a combination of 5,000 um, 5, 5, different facial expressions we can make with the muscles we have in our face. And some of them are natural to us, but we, yeah, they're not well-developed. It's like we need to train them. Like to go on the gym, we need to train our muscles leading to our f- nose muscles, same as biceps in the gym. That makes sense. And is it kind of like CBT too, though? I mean, like if you're smiling and you really are working it, you start yeah. to feel it. I mean, it, no matter what, you're just yeah. you're smiling, it, it, you're projecting from the outside. That is in. super interesting that you're saying that. That somatic feedback loop, I think, is super important because what I've noticed it is when I coach people and I say, say to them, you need to put more emphasis into it. You need to show me that you value it. And they increase the emphasis and they try to increase value in their voice and it doesn't work. In these clients, I say, now express what the value and the emphasis is with your face. And as soon as they do that, they activate the emphasis and the value of their voice. So this is like the, the face seem to be have, like have a somatic loop connected to the voice for a lot of people. Not for everyone, but for a lot of people. I wonder if that's in mirroring. I mean, like if somebody's smiling, you, you kind of, you know, you, you start to sort of, it's a little addictive, but sort of like a yep. yawn or whatever else. So if, if that person's smiling, you're naturally getting the good feeling from them and you probably feel yourself smiling back. So maybe that's part of the reactivity or, or yeah. grief would be another example. Like, you know, if you mm. see somebody really grieving and you're walking up, Hey, how you doing? And, and you just, they're like, Whoa, <laughs> it's a bad idea. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and you just feel it. I mean, you just feel yeah. everything draining from yeah. you, just uh, off of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. no, uh, it could be, could be a mirroring thing. Yeah, I, I definitely know it's a somatic feedback loop thing, but yeah, it could be have to do with mirroring as well. Okay, I want to discuss the curse of what you do, or what I assume to be a curse. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get so engaged? have such suspension of disbelief, like you're just watching somebody, you forget to track what they're doing? Uh, well, I, very, very rarely. As I studied 5,000 speakers, I kind of learned to remove myself from the subject. Actually, the thing is, when I study a speaker and I analyze them and I'm going to score them, I have to be neutral. If I feel anything at all, I have to stop analyzing because my feeling will make an impression on the way that I score the person. So Mm -hmm. if I allow myself to laugh, that will increase my endorphin levels and make me less critical. Uh, Or if they tell a sad story and I start crying, that will create an empathy and that will then again result in a higher score for them. So as soon as I feel anything, I have to stop analyzing. 
Well, do you still note that? Because that's technically analysis. If they if they're forcing you to feel, then they actually are impactful in whatever they're doing at their point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I don't measure content, I measure skill only, delivery skill. Okay. Yeah. So, so not content. So if they're telling a story, I don't care what they're saying. I care about if what they're saying is matched with how they say it. Do you ever do it with a sound off? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I analyze the way they use their voice, not what they're saying specifically, but how they use their voice in relation to what they're saying. Okay. So, do you break now I'm assuming that you watch somebody multiple times. Do you do you go in and like there's a trick in editing. If you're editing a manuscript or something else that you read it backwards. That yeah. way you don't get caught up in the story. Yeah. Do you do that type of methodology? Like, okay, I'm just closing my eyes while I'm just listening to the voice and the patterns right now. Or I turn the sound off and I just look at the facial expressions to where you're just breaking into every possible component. Yes. Yeah. So the way we do it, as there's many coaches which are certified in the system, we have to do it in the same way. And we always start with the sound off. Mm. So we look at the uh, the facial expressions and the body language. And then we have a look at that. And then we... Uh, just listen. And then when we've done that, we do fast forwards and, and fast backwards to see any pattern repetitions. And then we start analyzing based on that. And of course, you're using, you have your chart of the 110 skills. Now, why 110? Why can't it be 126 or 42? Uh, there was actually 155 something. But to make it digestible to like any account, I... I, I, I kind of put them as sub-skills to main skills. So there's 110 skills, and under that there's currently there's hundreds of sub-skills under those main skills. But finding a new main skill is very rare. Um, it hasn't happened since I, I created 110. They can usually be put as sub-skills under these main skills. Even the 110 is still a lot. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, keep track of them. <laughs> is, is that further categorized like there's you know, four basic types, like um, acting out. I, I know you talk a lot about that or shoulder shrug, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, is that like one category? And then voice might be a whole set of skills in of itself. Yeah. 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 They're divided into gestures and uh, body language, voice and words. And then there's a category called ultimate, which are very hard to define as one single skill. So, for instance, one of the ultimate ones is visual language. So using a visual language as a public speaker is incredibly important to transfer your voice to the other person. And there's many different ways to have a visual language. You can do storytelling, you can do metaphors, similize examples, associations, relatable stuff. And, um, yeah. Okay, and that, that right there can almost be hired out. Like we can have our friend Simon Lancaster mm -hmm. come yeah. draft a speech for us because the the visual language is put into the speech and determine yeah. whether it's auditory or visual, et cetera. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Another one of the ultimate skills is loves presenting. So when we see somebody love their craft, we love them even more. So when you see a person up on stage, it doesn't matter how good they are. If you can see that they're not enjoying themselves, that they're not loving what they're doing, they will rate less. So, and that's also another one that is very hard to put your, like, pinpoint that that's a particular skill. 
It's just something that you can see in the person. You need a musician who's absolutely devoted and loving their own music. Oh my God, you fall in love with them 10 times faster than somebody who's clinically just playing the tune. Uh, so yeah, that's exactly lost like that. You're lost. They're lost yeah. in it. You're lost in it. I, I'm going to yeah. throw out Steve Jobs, which seems like an obvious one, but he seems to be one who just relished. This is my <laughs> my moment, even to the point yeah. where he would get angry. Yeah. Um. And, and that's part of what we love about him is it was so real. I don't know if you have seen the presentation where he said, "I'm trying to do the demo, and it turns out that the Wi-Fi signals in here are being taken up. So if you will go and close your laptops and turn off all your Wi-Fi." I'm waiting. But <laughs> I haven't seen that it, one, but it sounds good. <laughs> it, it, it's wonderful, though, because it, it is literally him breaking out and, and I think demonstrating that love more than anything. Like, you're in my time. This yeah. is my yeah. time. Don't eat it. <laughs> I own it all. Yeah. I think Robin Williams was the same thing as well. You could just see how he loved doing that. That's, a, uh, that's fantastic. And by the way, Whenever I watch you on YouTube, I could see that you love doing this. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> love that. <laughs> and on that note, what is, we're almost out of time. What is the question that I left on the table that I should have asked you? Maybe why I do it. Why do I do it? Because that's always interesting for people. And uh, I do what I do. I'm an introvert, so I shouldn't really be doing this. Uh, I prefer not talking to people. I prefer not standing on stage. I prefer not doing YouTube. But I do it uh, because of the sole purpose that I think it's unfair that so many people don't know how to communicate. And by just giving the skills, they their life changes. Wow. Since I started doing YouTube, there are literally thousands of youths commenting and sending me direct messages on how like single skills are individually changing their lives, giving them higher grades, giving the opportunity to ask a girl or a boy out, winning them uh, employments and business deals and getting rid of depressions and anxiety. That's why I do it, because I know that the skills that I've learned, the way I've hacked myself, makes the entire difference to so many people. And that is what motivates me to just be my everything for the person that I'm speaking to. That's fantastic. And what a perfect message. Thank you so much. Mm. Please, Thank everybody, you. check out David J.P. Phillips on YouTube. Soon to take it all over. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Hi, this is Kara Mayer Robinson, and I host Really Famous. I interview A-list celebrities. I dive deep because I used to be a therapist. This is what Tim Gunn said. I just have this antipathy for the judges. I can't stand being in the same room with them. Tim Daly. If you're not working in L.A. and you're an actor, there's no worse place to be. Michael Rappaport. I changed schools every year from the third grade to the twelfth grade. Disruptive was my thing. Chaz Palminteri. I knew something was going on. I said, I got to talk to somebody. It's Really Famous. It's like eavesdropping on a therapy session. 
laughter, tears, celebrities, newsmakers, anecdotes, and recipes. Wait, I was wrong. They don't do recipes. You can't hear food. Join host Randall Kenneth Jones, a man who is not the original cowboy in the village people, and announcer Susan C. Bennett, a woman who is the original voice of Siri, every week on Jones.show, a podcast so accessible, its name is a web address, www.jones.show.